be a great help if you could keep that passage, Mark chapter 4, verse 26, open. Let's pray for God's help as we turn to it now. Father, we need your help because our hearts by nature are darkened. So by your Spirit, open our eyes that we might understand and marvel at who your Son is, that we might live for him and for him alone. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Well, it began life on April the 1st, 1976, founded by three college dropouts in their 20s, the first office in a garage owned by one of their parents in California. Incorporated in 1977, the logo was inspired by Sir Isaac Newton. But so discouraging was the initial startup that after just a few years, one of the founders decided he wanted out and so sold his shares for a pitiful $800. But by 1994, Steve Jobs launched Apple Macintosh to a rapturous applause. By 1987, the first color graphics were introduced. By the late 80s, Apple's net worth was 100 million with 100,000 employees worldwide. Then he partnered with IBM. Then came the iPod, the iPad, the iCloud. But now, around the world, are hundreds of thousands of employees working in 504 retail stores in 24 different countries and rising, and over 1.3 billion Apple products are in the homes of people around the world. There's probably one in your pocket as we speak. You're probably staring at one as we speak. And the company has a bigger GDP than over 183 countries, it is the first ever company to cross the $1 trillion threshold, a staggering worth more than 1% of global GDP. A tiny, unimpressive start. But then, extraordinary growth. A tiny start. That's Jesus' point this morning as we turn to these parables. But don't be deceived from a tiny, unimpressive start, extraordinary global growth. Last week in Mark 4, Jesus taught what the kingdom of heaven was like. It uh, is a kingdom that will advance through the word of Jesus, a widespread broadcast of the gospel as it is preached. And then we saw that this word will encounter serious opposition. The gospel will be rejected by the hardened outsider, yet opened to the listening insider. And in verse 32 of chapter 4, we saw the promise of extraordinary growth and fruit a hundred times what is sown. This is a miraculous picture, especially in the arid desert of Palestine. Last week, as we were here, as we heard about this promise of growth, a hundred times what is sown, perhaps we left with something of a residual fear. And the fear goes something like this, an anxiety that somehow this kingdom growth, this church advance, somehow depends on us. It's a deep uh, insecurity for parents. Somehow that the 
child's conversion, my, my children's salvation, really depends on me. Is that your fear? Or the growth of our church depends on us. Or the kingdom of God in America or on the mission field. It does depend on our performance, skill, preaching, marketing, determination, wisdom. But this morning we need to see, and it's really encouraging, that the kingdom of Jesus does not depend on you or me, but on the power of the seed. It's our first point. I'm about to put it up behind me. It is one of dynamic power, the first point, verse 26. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, verse 27, as he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. The seed sprouts and grows. How he doesn't know, verse 28, the soil produces crops, and the key word, by itself. This then is the second seed parable. The parable of the sower, the emphasis was on the sowing of the seed. But now, in this second little parable, the emphasis is on the power of the seed. And verse 28 is the key phrase. By itself. The Greek word is automate, from which we get our word automatic, or automobile, or autopilot. If you look up the word automatic in the dictionary, it says that it uh, works by itself without human control. If you go to your car, you turn the ignition, and through a series of explosions within the engine, I don't really understand it, but the car will work. Not like the Flintstones, where they have to sort of propel the car by themselves. The whole point of a car is you turn the ignition, and it does the work for you. This word will grow automate, automatically. You sow it, then all the power is within the seed. We don't have to worry about the correct pH of the soil. We don't have to nitrogen drill the gullies. We don't have to water or weed. All by itself, this will grow. So you can go on holiday to the Poconos or take your kids on the school run or watch the baseball match. Waking or sleeping, the Word of God will do its work. This is hugely encouraging. We don't have to worry about market analysis effective branding, better techniques, more persuasive preaching. It is miraculous. You won't see it, but don't be deceived. This word is and will be at work. As I was a boy at school and then at church, at my home church, we would sing a hymn every harvest. I never really liked it or understood it. Now I both like it and understood it. It goes like this. We plow the fields and scatter the good seed on the land, but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. It's Martin Luther who once asked, how did the Reformation happen, Luther? He replied, I did nothing. I preached the word, and the word did everything. And then he said, I went and drank beer in Wittenberg. So don't lose heart, though tiny and weak and vulnerable, this kingdom will grow despite the power of evil. The word has power within it. We sow it, and then we can go and drink beer with Luther in Wittenberg. Paul the Apostle says this too. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And the Greek word there, power, is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our word dynamo or dynamic or dynamite. Preach this gospel, and it is dynamite. It will bring with it dynamic power. All of this means, then, I want to suggest by way of application, we need to find new avenues for the proclamation of this uh, seed. And that's precisely why we're having this guest service next week. Be bold and invite your friends, neighbors, colleagues, and teammates, your factory workers, wherever you might be this week. Be bold. A number of you have done that. You've invited friends. I wonder what will happen next week as the dynamite of the gospel is preached. I wonder what will happen as the seed of Jesus' word is heard. Who knows? Be bold. And let's invite our friends. I've invited my um, bank clerk to come, and she's promised she's going to be here on Sunday. Pray for her. But this means our confidence mustn't be in the preacher, but in the word of Jesus. And so we've actually done something different this week, which you may or may not have noticed. We've removed uh, quite a number of the hymn books, but there are still some for those who want them, and there are more at the back we've put a hundred more Bibles into the pews. And that's deliberate, because what we need to do every week is not just listen to him at the front, but open God's Word and study it for ourselves. So there's a change. And here's another one. Next week, we are relaunching a New Look Bulletin. And the reason for that is not because we don't like the old one, but because we want to provide space for sermon notes. So starting next week, every week when you gather, there'll be a page entitled Sermon Notes. We'll have the headings there for you. You can scribble away, take it home, put it on your refrigerator, think about it over the coming week. The Word of God, dynamic power. But we are skeptical, and therefore we wonder, how far will this power extend I mean, it might work here in a Christian environment, here in southeast Pennsylvania, but can it really impact the whole of the world? As we get our atlas out or look at a world map, we're very clear that there are Hindu countries and Buddhist nations. There are Jewish areas, and then there's the 1040 window of Iraq, Syria, Indonesia and Pakistan. I mean, can this word really ever have any significant impact in a place like that? Or what about in the LGBTQ community or in the gay areas of Philadelphia? The backdrop to this parable is one of strenuous opposition. Chapter 3, verse 6, the Pharisees and Herodians are plotting to kill Jesus. Chapter 4, the word is rejected. And so the point is, it will grow even in hardened soil. And it leads to our second point this morning, which I'm calling expansive growth, dynamic power. And then verse 31, expansive growth. Because the kingdom is like a mustard seed, which when it's sown on the soil, though it is the smallest of all the seeds that are on the soil, verse 32, yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes the larger uh, of all the garden plants and forms branches with the result that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. In the ancient world, the mustard seed was proverbial for the smallest of all seeds. 
It was tiny, almost invisible to the naked eye. And if this were iBlast or VBS, Vacation Bible School, I suppose we'd have great fun now as I invite the children to the front and Donna would help and Michael would do that as well and all the kids would be here. And then I would have a mustard seed. And then I would probably throw it up and it would fall somewhere. I'd say to them, now you've got to find that mustard seed. And there would be chaos and fun at the front because they wouldn't be able to find it. It is almost invisible to the naked eye. But, verse 32, don't be deceived, this, the smallest seed, grows. And in the ancient world, it would grow 20 feet high with a 20-foot spread. So much so that the birds of the air would come and nest in its branches. That phrase, the birds nesting in its branches, is a phrase borrowed from two places in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 17 and Daniel 4. Both those pictures were used of the global superpowers of the ancient world. The birds are the nations uh, shaded under the protectorates of the superpower. Rather like Finland is desperately trying to join NATO quickly in the next three months to protect itself from Russian aggression. It will enter under the protectorate of NATO, which is really the protectorate of America. In the ancient world, the birds, the nations, were desperate to be under the superpower Syria or Egypt for protection from the aggressive nations. But actually, God's promise was that one day his kingdom would provide the protection and all the birds of the air, the nations of the world, would come and flock into Israel, into the kingdom of God for protection from his judgments and from the evil of the nations around it. This picture is of expansive growth, of a kingdom that will continue to spread and bring blessing, salvation, and grace, not just to the Jews, but to the whole of the world. And here we are. A tiny start. On the night that he was betrayed, just 11 men, a tiny band of brothers. Had you been a casual guest at the Last Supper, you would have thought the kingdom of Jesus is finished. On the day that Jesus ascends into heaven, 120 followers... In Acts 2, by the day of Pentecost, 3,000 baptized. By Acts 4, the church has grown to 5,000. But within 10 years of Jesus' death and resurrection, the apostles have taken the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around the Mediterranean, from Antioch to Ephesus and Corinth, Thessalonica, Crete, Cyprus, North Africa, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and Egyptians and Arabians are all converted and then to the heart of empire, to Rome. And then, in 312, Constantine, the emperor, is converted to Christianity, and the whole of the empire turns to Christ as Spain and France and Germania and the whole of Europe are converted as the gospel reaches Britain in AD 597. By the 1700s, the gospel then begins to move from Britain as the missionaries sail from Canada in the uh, west to the Americas in the south. 
as the gospel begins to spread to Africa, Uganda, Nigeria in the south, Singapore, Hong Kong in the east, to Tonga and Samoa, Australia and New Zealand in the uh, southeast. The first man actually to take the gospel to China, uh, his name was Hudson Taylor. He left Liverpool on the 19th of September, 1853. And he, he arrived in Shanghai just five months later. It was a horrible, horrible journey by sea. Had you stood at the docks in Liverpool, you would have thought there's nothing to see. One man with one book boarding a ship for China. You would have moved on and said there's nothing to see. But if you leave uh, Philadelphia and you fly to Shanghai now, you will discover that there are over 67 million Christians in China. If you want the American version of the illustration, I suppose it's a small mission, May 1934, somewhere in rural North Carolina. A group of businessmen had arranged it a tent was set up, it was called the tabernacle, and they met with sawdust on the floor. The preacher wasn't particularly impressive. His name was Mordecai Ham. He came and he went. But in the back row was a 16-year-old teenager who heard the gospel that night, filled out the card, and came to the front. And that was the night Billy Graham turned to Jesus Christ. Billy Graham was to go on with 400 missions the world over in 185 different countries. It is estimated that he reached 215 million people. There'll be some of you who were converted under his ministry, or you are the children of or grandchildren of his ministry. One teenager listening to a sermon, a farm, a tent, sawdust on the floor, but the word of Jesus, dynamic power, <laughs> expansive growth, and the kingdom of Jesus established. But we are a cynical generation. There is an elephant in the room. Dynamic power, fine. Expansive growth, fine. But can the kingdom of Jesus really defeat cosmic evil? And Mark's answer is yes, and he's about to show us that. But when I was at school in chemistry, it was always like this, you'd do the lesson, and then came the fun bit, which was the demonstration. So we learned the equation, we did the, uh, the chemistry lesson, and then came the fun bit because we got to play with the Bunsen burner and test out the elements. So we've had the lesson, dynamic power, expansive growth, but now it's time for the demonstration. And Mark has for us a two-fold demonstration of the absolute power of Jesus over cosmic evil. It's our third and last point, sovereign authority. Dynamic power, expansive growth, now sovereign authority. Verse 35, he gets with his disciples into a boat. And what begins as plain sailing suddenly turns ugly. Verse 37, there is a storm. The word in the Greek is very frightening, really a tsunami. 
And there's a scene of utter terror now, without warning, out of the blue, with no textual translation or introduction. It does look as if they're about to die. In the original Greek, the scene is terrifying as the waters literally hurl down on them. We might say, crash in on them. And they cry out in terror. These seasoned fishermen know they are about to go down to their watery grave in death. Their assessment of the scene is accurate. It's DEFCON 1, threat level critical, imminent danger to life. They're drowning. And actually, so are we. Their plight stands as a picture of our own. We are defenseless against cosmic evil. You are defenseless against sin, Satan, and the judgment of God. Their cry is our cry. Don't you care if we drown? And the sea in the Old Testament stands as the picture of frenzied evil, ferocious chaos, relentless attack now as wave after wave surges and pounds and crashes in on their boat or on your life. This is what the church in the Ukraine is facing and in Iran and in North Korea. I was at a conference some years ago in Kenya, in Nairobi, and we asked for prayer points and I was with a bishop from a diocese in Nigeria He asked for my prayer point. I said something ridiculous, like um, that I would become a better pastor or something like that in my community. And he said, well, pray for us. So I said, how can we pray? He said, well, the Islamic terrorists moved in on my diocese last week. They bombed five churches and have killed 300 of my people. Pray that no more pastors get taken into captivity and no more of the women of my diocese raped. That humbled me. Actually, our opening hymn spoke of the power of the waves, eternal Father strong to save. It's the American naval hymn. And it's sung by the crew of any ship as they head out from port, from Pearl Harbor or Norfolk. The captain and the chaplain will gather the company and they sing together this this great hymn of prayer to God for protection from the waters. And they sing this, O Saviour, whose almighty word, the winds and waves submissive heard, who walked upon the foaming deep and calm amid the rage did sleep, O hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. But we are those in peril, a prayer for deliverance immediately answered as Jesus stands up and says, be silent, be still, as he commands the wind and the waves, literally, be gagged. And they are. As we move from a great storm to a great calm. And the final picture at the end in the new creation is of a glassy, because you see, Evil and chaos in the new creation have been tamed forever. It is interesting that their fear of the storm now becomes a fear of him. They became overcome with fear. Who is this? But the point is that Jesus has full authority over the chaos of our world.
And in case we're skeptical and thinking, well, maybe that was a one-off, or maybe the storm just stopped by itself, there's a second demonstration for us this morning as we move now from the boats to a cemetery and we find a man chained under the full power of evil, oppressed by menacing demonic power. Again, he stands as a picture of us. We may not see it, we may not understand it, but all of us are chained by evil and under the power of Satan, sin and death. What about Jesus? Can he do anything about this? We often think of Jesus and evil like a, like a wrestling match. Sometimes evil will triumph, and other times God will triumph, but it's touch and go in the red ring or the blue ring as to who is going to triumph. It could go either way. It's not like that at all. Jesus has complete authority over cosmic evil. And we see it now as battle commences. Actually, battle is over before it starts. Verse six is charged with explosive drama as this man runs on his knees, as he shouts, verse seven, at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Have you come to torture me? The first thing that evil does as it sees Jesus is it realizes it has been eternally and decisively defeated. But the power of evil is terrifying. Jesus says to him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he says, for there are many of us. In a Roman legion or battalion, there were 6,500 infantrymen. And this man's nickname is Legion because there are at least 6,500 demons possessing him. Here is the full arsenal of hell. Here is a demonic battalion in all of its terror and horror. Can this Jesus defeat evil as ferocious as that? The picture is of decisive defeat. He commands, they answer. They're driven into the pigs. The pigs are driven into the water. Again, the picture of chaos. And in this picture of the pigs charging into the water, you see the intents of evil, the power of evil to destroy, and then the power of Jesus to deliver. By the end of the story, it is extraordinary. Verse 14, the man is in shackles, chains, screaming from the tombs as he cuts himself. Verse 15, sitting down, clothed, compass mentis, in his right mind, at peace. What a picture of salvation and deliverance. Many of us might fear if we come to Christ, somehow we will be made less human. Nothing could be further from the truth. Come to Christ, you are fully human and fully restored. Dynamic power, expansive growth, and sovereign authority with a twofold application. Keep listening to this word of Jesus in your own heart and life. Don't move from it. Hold on to it with a vice-like grip. And then pick up the flyer and invite your friends next week. Dynamic power, expansive growth, 
sovereign authority because this is a kingdom that will grow and bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great good news of the kingdom of your Son. Fill us with confidence and hope, even in the darkness of this world, and help us to go out and to preach it as we hold to it, that many might come to the salvation and the blessing of your Son. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.